1: Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. You can find me on Twitter at TheValiantGeek. You can also find Dr. Scarlet on Twitter at shadowquill and through her website www.superhero-therapy.com. We are just settling back into life after the whirlwind that is San Diego Comic Con. This is a special episode of Superhero Therapy, which will consist of our coverage of the Psychology of Cult TV and Annual Review Panel 2019. We have some wonderful guests and a wonderful conversation, so sit back and enjoy our coverage of The Psychology of Colt TV 2019.
2: we to rest. Don't you cry no more. Do you feel that? Hi! this on?
3: Just give us a moment. We're going to get ready here.
2: <laughs> okay,
3: thank you all so very much for coming out tonight for an eight o'clock panel on Thursday. Yeah. Here's a round of <laughs> Welcome to the Psychology of Cult TV panel. This is an annual review. I'm your moderator. My name is Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician and a podcaster. I do a wonderful podcast with Dr. Janina Scarlett over there. Um, go No, we <laughs> um, We're all super excited to have you here today. We have an amazing panel, as you can see. And first and foremost, are there any Supernatural fans out there? How about Game of Thrones? Did you guys catch up on Stranger
1: Things?
3: (laughs) You feel that? That's why we're here. Our love for these shows and how they bring us together. Like I mentioned, we have some amazing professionals here, and what I'd like to do is ask the panelists to introduce yourselves and let us know what you're working on and how people can find you on social media, starting with you, Rachel.
4: Well, um, I'm Rachel Miner. I was on Supernatural. Um, I'm most proud of being the executive director of Random Acts. Um, That's randomacts.org. Look us up. And uh, you can find me on Twitter, Rachel Miner. One, I think. Yes. Um, yes.
5: <laughs> Rachel Miner's Graham. Yes, that's right. On the gram. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going because I stalk <laughs> <laughs> you. I'm Ruth Connell. I'm currently. Uh, uh, it's like coming home, coming to Comic Con. I came here on my own dollar, so I couldn't talk about myself, um, for the first time when I was first ever starting A Supernatural, um, so it's lovely to be here, um, I'm still working on it, <laughs> I'm not dead yet, <laughs> and I'm Ruthie Connell, Ruthie hyphen Connell, Ruthie under something like that. <laughs> in various places.
6: Hi, I'm Jonathan Maybury. I'm a novelist and comic book writer. I write for Marvel, IDW, and Dark Horse. And one of my comics, V Wars, is going to be a Netflix series in December starring Ian Somerhalder and also actors I mean we've got actors from The Expanse from The 100 from From uh, Black from pretty much Ever in Smallville uh, Arrow it's going to be a, it's a fun show and what, it's
5: what, what about Supernatural <laughs> I, I think you guys are still busy
6: you know
4: um, but I, I'm, I'm open <laughs>
6: and, and we're hopefully they're about to announce season two so we'll be looking for people yes. and I just got named executive producer retroactively which is weird
2: yes. yeah so.
6: Um, but also, I have um, a bunch of movies and TV in various stages of development with Alcon and Sony and other, other places. So, uh, um, going from the book world into the, the TV and movie world. Kind of digging it.
2: Yeah. I'm Tamara Robertson. I um, am a chemical and biomolecular engineer. And you guys may know me from Mythbusters, Mythbusters Jr., Mythbusters The Surge, anything Mythbusters has done in the last four years. Um, but what I'm proudest of is actually an outreach comic that I formed Seekers of Science. It's at SeekersofScience.com um, and you can find me at the real Tamara Robertson on Instagram. I'm so sorry that you have to figure out how to spell that um, and at TLenar85 on everything else.
0: Hi guys, I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. And and I specialize in incorporating popular culture like television shows such as Supernatural and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Arrow, uh, Game of Thrones, and others into therapy to help survivors of post-traumatic stress disorder to heal and recover.
7: Quite a lineup. Um, I'm just the guy that just walked off the street. I'm like one of those wedding crashers, but a panel crasher. So it looked like it was fun, so I just came up here to join. No. Hey, everyone, what's up? Uh, My name is Derek Hughes. I'm a writer, producer uh, for such shows as Arrow, which is currently on, Um, The Flash, actually uh, Scream Season 3, that just aired uh, two weeks ago, and uh, a little show called Warehouse 13 and Beauty and the Beast. Oh, and uh, at D. Blackanese. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So,
3: let's go ahead and get this started. Ruth and Rachel, this first question is for you two. Supernatural is one of the longest dark fantasy TV shows ever. Um, it just ended its 14th season, and sadly, it's about to end in the 15th season. How many of your hearts are breaking right now? <laughs> so, what I wanna know is, in your opinion, what is it about this show in particular that we are so drawn to?
4: There's two dudes. Really, <laughs> <like> really tall. <laughs> <But>
5: <laughs> no, it's, it's about family or something. No. I, uh, I mean, flippant. I actually cried this morning. Um, Jensen's up there um, directing episode, it's her first day and my first ever day of filming was an episode that Jensen directed, so I sent him an email and I started weeping as I sent him the email and I do think that it is it's a show about family we are, one big dysfunctional family aren't we Rachel? And uh, I think people love the love of the two brothers and the fact that they love people who, and they make the people who um, they work with and come into contact with, they become their family because we can't all choose our families, but we can choose our heart families. That's why I think so. Anyway.
4: There's, there's uh, two factors that I think draw a lot of people in. One is it is not just about family, but about supporting each other and really being loyal and really caring for each other uh, on a very deep level. And the, it's not just that that's in the writing of the show that's in a lot of the people who are part of the making of the show. And I feel like that comes across. So we're all kind of drawn, there's something that just feels really abnormally nice and good and right about that. And I think that that's also the humans behind the scenes and uh, the humans making the show. Um, And then also, um, I really, I. I think that I love that we all live in the grays mm-hmm. on that show, so every character is not good or bad or black or white, it's we're somewhere in between and we're trying to figure out on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and we mess up and we learn, um, and I think that that is very fundamentally true. So Very much agreed.
3: So I actually have a follow-up question for you two. Um, in addition to having a huge fan following for its like on-screen episodes, uh, Supernatural also has a huge following for its off-screen stuff, like your uh, conventions. Can you please talk about how such fan experiences might be meaningful to the fans?
5: I mean, it's meaningful to to us. We, I mean, it's meaningful to to, to be there. Um, there, we've got some of the people we work with. <laughs> Stand up, girls. Stand up, ladies. We're st- <laughs> there's, we're, we are such a family. They've come along today. Show, will I name check them? Kind of <laughs> <hair>. Victoria's purple. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, the, uh, we do these meet and greets. We do photo ops, autographs, all the different things. But um, after Jared spoke ab- out about um, and started the always keep fighting um, hashtag. Our movement, um, we now have um, trained um, therapists at the conventions because so many people were bringing um, because he spoke out, so many people felt able to to speak up about difficulties they were going through. and so we actually have professionals there now to to counsel people um, and so there's a sort of a healing aspect um, that's come into play in the conventions as well as well as as all the charitable um, fundraising stuff that's come about too. It's, Which is
4: where Rachel comes in with. Well, no, but I also, I think there's like a general ethos and a general agreement amongst all the performers as well, is there's not a big differentiation of like, oh, you're a fan of the show, therefore you're... No. We all care and uh, we all care about each other and we're all happy to connect to each other. And so there's not any kind of looking down on. It's just trying to build community. And I think that that comes across. Um, And the truth is, um, especially for the three lead actors, most people that get to that level of success stop doing conventions. Um, And they've made it an absolute that they still go to all those. And so it helps to keep a consistency within that community. And I think we all feel that. And it becomes really important to all of us. Right. Um, and then there is the charitable element that, like, we're always trying to build community. Um, and then there's gish. <laughs> 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 so, so, so no, but we're, we're all the random acts too. Yeah, I, and I can't take credit for gish; someone else can. But um, but but in any event, it's all of these things are constantly throughout the year. Uh, doubling down on that sense of community and the fact that we can be better than I think the average fandom. I'm going to (laughs) say.
3: Well I love it. Um, We're going to move over to another fandom and talk to you Derek at the end. Um, You've worked on some of the most iconic shows in television um, including The Flash and Arrow um, and both of these shows really speak to a lot of us fans in terms of how it, the portrayals uh, you you show of overcoming severe traumas and traumatic incidences. Um, what are you hoping that viewers are able to take away from these shows, and what is your creative process like?
7: Uh, what do they take away from it? That they're shows, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, because I think that, you know, even though you write what you know, I've I've never had the traumatic experience of Barry Allen of losing a parent in such a horrible, gruesome way. Um, I mean, that's not to be that I haven't thought about it when I was a kid, but that's a whole other story that we can get into another day. Um, but you know, uh, it's, I think that, you know, the thing is that we start with and this is a, you know, a, all credited to Greg Berlanti and in the way of, of heart humor spectacle, right? And the thing is what drives, that's the engine of the show. And so we start with the heart of like where are these characters? The emotional journey of these characters, because without that, nothing matters, right? You're just watching just pretty people on television talking, and and you really don't care. But you want to care about these characters, and that is what we have to strive for first and foremost. So I think in the process of that, that's you know every every character that is on the screen is like we start with like what is their emotional arc, and that first and foremost, and then you know the humor and spectacle come second. But you you cannot have a functioning story or show without that and so uh, you know in 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 the thing that I think that we want. Character. I mean, you know, fans to be able to relate to and understand and, and sympathize and, and be, you know, frustrated and, you know, it's like all, it's basically, you know, evoke emotions and people get invested. But there's, I was just talking to my friend about this, there's, you know, the responsibility and, and you know, being trying to be conscious of, of not just pulling on heartstrings for the sake of pulling on heartstrings. Like there has to be a reason why that you're, you're creating a moment, you know, not just we're like, well, this should get the audience's attention, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's more about it has to service the story. So, I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs>
3: well, how much of your personal experiences as writers go into the, these stories you build in, with these characters?
7: Well, okay, I don't know how many people watched Arrow last season when Oliver Queen went to prison. Well, I too went to prison just so I can, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, that's the thing. It's like it's create it's creativity. You know, it's like again, none of us. I don't think any of us went to jail to say like, well, "What is it going to take for, for Oliver Queen to?" You know, how is he going to cope with this? But there's you put yourself in the, in those shoes, and there are other people that have those experiences that you can mine from and understand. And and you know, this the psychology of Oliver Queen. Especially there was a, a episode called Level Two, where he's actually talking to a doctor who's getting in his head, but he's getting in his head for all the wrong reasons uh and And you know the, there there are things that we get to play with in that way, but i don 't know it 's just there yeah the, while there are some personal experiences that you can pour into it i don 't know if we can actually pour into the i 've never been to the speed force, you know contrary to popular <laughs> belief i 'm just want to let people know <laughs> much as i 'd love to i 've never been there so um but there are other other writers I think that you know they all bring their other personal experiences and pour it in there, but not without it being about them. That's never the purpose of anything of that we write or create. It's not about us. It's about the character, servicing the character, and you have to remember that.
3: Right so. on. So uh, this question is for the entire panel. What is one of your favorite TV shows and a moment that might have moved you or inspired you in a TV show?
6: Actually, I got one. There's, there's. Every once in a while, you'll have a show that so deeply surprises you by its insight into characters. Um, I, used to, I love the show Scrubs.
4: Yeah.
3: And, um,
6: there, there was an episode where uh, Brendan Fraser's character had been brought back, and he was dying of cancer, and he's talking to Dr. Cox, who was his best friend, and talking to JD, and um, you know about. He's just laughing off this whole idea of of cancer, uh, and uh, Dr. Cox is getting really tied up with him as they get ready for. The, the christening for, for the doctor's kid and as as the show progresses toward the christening you know they're all walking together in the, in, in the cemetery the three of them uh, Brendan Fraser Dr Cox and JD and JD you know finally just, he turns weirdly to Dr Cox and said where do you think you are and the camera pans and Brendan Fraser's not there we're at his funeral his character's mm-hmm. funeral it's a comedy show that just swung in that direction, where a character was so uh, dysfunctional that he was no longer able to live in the reality of his best friend dying. And he constructed something so elaborate that it drew in other people. um, And he, he perceived everyone else being at the same place in his illusion that he was. It was such a powerful, heartbreaking, and beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. It was, I think, one of the finest scripted scenes in television I've ever seen.
3: I got chills just remembering
6: uh, it when you're telling yeah, it. I it was, just watched that was it a fantastic that episode. ago, and it's like, oh my god. They, I don't know if it would have worked as well in a drama. It was a dramatic show. The fact that it was a goofy comedy show made that punch so deep, hit so deep. Um, that, that's the sort of thing that I'd look for, you know, as a, as a writer who also loves television. When I see good writing, it's usually when someone, when the writers have, have had the courage to go there. Because sometimes, you know, like sometimes writers play it safe, you're, you're, you know, you're talking about uh, writers not necessarily writing from experience but they still have to write with integrity for the characters mm-hmm. and if they don't it shows it shows when you're pandering to the audience and good writing doesn't pander good writing invites the audience to not only you know uh, enjoy it but to participate in the process of, of telling that story They're all, we're all co-conspirators in if there's good writing and um, that show that episode of Scrubs I think is the one that, that most solidly hits that note for me okay.
7: And was that Tom Kavanaugh? Was no, the, it, who was the guy that Brent played Brandon Fraser. Brandon Fraser. Wasn't there another right. one with Tom Kavanaugh? And Tom Kavanaugh another? played
6: JD's brother, who was a. Uh, Didn't a, he also die?
7: I don't know. I don't think he died. No. But- <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Okay. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we overlap. <laughs> Any others?
0: Um, do you guys remember in Supernatural, I think it was season six Death's Door? I know. I, was, uh, I made the mistake of watching it in the middle of the night while my husband was asleep. <laughs> and he woke up and watched me sob uncontrollably. And he said, who died? And I said, Bobby. <laughs> um, but uh, the reason why that episode really spoke to me is because not only did Bobby get to re-experience his worst trauma and go back, but... He got to see that little boy himself who was being traumatized and abused, and he got to comfort that child. And um, you know, being a refugee, having escaped a world of violence, being able to have this kind of a mi- mental time machine to go back and comfort our youngest child is one of the most therapeutic and powerful experiences that we can have. And watching that episode allowed me to do that. It allowed me to go back to that child that was being being abused and victimized and offer her the same kind of support and compassion that Bobby received. And it's so interesting how these seemingly simple television shows can have these monumental effects on us as viewers and on so many people out there. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, I have trouble with favorites.
0: Yeah, thank you.
4: <laughs> um, no, I have trouble with favorites, So, because uh, I know I'll, I'll think of something later and wish I'd said that instead. But I tend to like a genre shows, So, and I like, out their concepts, because I feel like we can get closer to truth and the truth that exists in reality by looking outside from a different perspective. So, like some other things, I, I love Good Omens and the OA and Sense8 and Legend of Quora and like I'm trying to, but also recently I've been watching years and years. I don't oh know if God. anyone's seen that. Mm-hmm. BBC, HBO, yeah and i 've been so moved and it 's one of the few times where i 've seen a show that can be dealing with basically reality um, slightly altered you know into the future but um, and deal with it on such a deep level that it still hits home. And they, they talk about the, the refugee crisis, the last episode, I don't know if you saw it, but you... like. It took me a while to recover and I cried a lot, but it was really important, really good. And it's got some of the best representation I've ever seen. Uh, there is a character in a wheelchair. And she actually, first they didn't address it even for the first episode, like for a while, and then it just is. And you you see it more through the lens of other people having an awkward time and not knowing what questions to ask her and things like that. But it's she's got spina bifida, and it just... Something she's lived with her whole life, and she doesn't give people room to make it awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so exciting. She goes on dates and she has sex, and she's like, there, it's something I've never seen before. Um, And she, again, it's like she's just a character that doesn't leave room for not to be included and not to be a part of the world. And it's really
0: exciting to see. I love that. And and that's the thing. That's the thing about television shows and well-written television shows is that they they don't allow us to turn a blind eye on things that are happening, right? I think that so often throughout the day, there's so many negative things going on in the world that we may not have the emotional capacity to deal. And so we might turn to an escape, right? So we might turn to maybe a television show only to find that it actually portrays the very thing that we were running from, but maybe in a way that makes it easier to understand. And also easier to understand for us that we're not, alone in being overwhelmed by this experience and understand how to process this experience. Understanding that, that there are terrible things going on in the world and people are suffering and also that even one person can make a difference. That even one person can, can take a step and say, no more and it stops with me. We're seeing that in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're seeing that in Supernatural. We're seeing that in Arrow. We're seeing that in every well-written television show. But it depicts real life in so many ways and I think that's why we're so drawn to these shows mm-hmm
5: possibly a bit on the nose, um, uh, but The Handmaid's Tale for me has felt like some of the most important television I've ever seen. Um, The first season in particular, I thought I was was coming to something that that maybe nobody else was realising, where at one point during the season I thought, everything that's happening to these women has happened. And then I read it. Of course, that's what Margaret would so brilliantly wrote, you know, all those decades ago. Um, and it's it's interesting to see the, the the lead character, and some of, for me, some of the flashback stuff, and some of the judgments that I might have had on her as a mother. And just I feel like my perception is shifting in the right here and now about our normal. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And about our, uh, yeah, and, and realizing my own um, bigotry towards my own uh, gender <laughs> and some of the self-imposed rules and, uh, that, that I've had on myself. So for me, it's been honestly life-changing to see that.
6: That show. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, from something that isn't yet aired, um, the show that I have coming up, uh, we had a uh, the story deals with with racism. It, it's about you know the gene that fires and a percentage of the population becomes vampires, and suddenly it's us versus them. So, it it, it drills down into what's going on with with everything from immigration to um, to race bias and everything else. Um, and there there was an episode that that was scripted and. Um, Ian, our our star, and also who's one of the producers and director, rewrote the episode, and he he and I had a nice long talk about it at uh, at Emerald City Comic Con. Ian's a good, really good guy, and he runs really really deep. I mean, lot if if you don't know who he is, you think he's the pretty guy from from Lost and Vampire Diaries, but it's a really complex guy. And he wanted to drill deeper and deeper and deeper into the issues of racism and intolerance and what that means in in, in modern America. That you know, it's 20, 2019, and, and we're you know, racism is running away and, and sexism is running away and all these other elements that my era, the hippie era, thought we had conquered, <laughs> not so much. And you know, Ian's quite a bit younger than I am, and, but he went in there with a sensibility of having a foot in you know. Uh, kind of the past a little bit he was you know, a bit of a student of history and also as a father of a, of a daughter and um, looking at what the world's going to be like with her he went in and wrote that in a way that's going to draw blood um, you know, he could have. It could have been careful, and it was originally scripted as careful. You know, it's like we're going to go up to the edge of racism, but we're going to pull back. And he's like, you know, hell with that. And he he pulled out knives on it. So um, that's the sort of thing where I can't wait to look an episode of my own show because of of the way people who were working on it decided that it can't just be this. It's got to go deeper. Or it's not worth doing.
2: Mm, that's awesome. And I would say, um, for me, some I grew up obviously as a, a Trekkie and and the sci-fi tech side of it, so it led me to engineering. So some of my favorite shows right now are um, actually Black Mirror and Altered Carbon. And the main reasons that I love these shows is because they ask the question of where we're going next. Um, And they bring up the issues when it comes to privacy and rights and how you know we could very quickly jump from being a society that's sharing all of our best favorite spoiler reels of our life and suddenly be owned by them and suddenly be judged in a way that we've never even realized we can be judged. Um, And so it's one of those things that I love that they push it all the way to the darkest realm it can go, but they never resolve it Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, we don't know what the answer is because we don't know how bad it could potentially get or how good it could potentially be. And I think especially um, as a nation where we're pushing STEM so hard, we need to also be pushing the ethics of technology and science and what we're looking at because you know we don't know to ask those questions until we see the possible nightmare that they could be so luckily those writers are showing that potential dark side and i just love watching each episode as it comes out cuz each one's standalone, and it's a totally different tech that they're looking at, and I don't know if you guys watch the series, but the, the one on AR and VR, I spent like two weeks trying to figure out if I was real, and I'm like is Elon right? Am I? Is this? Is that room glitching right now? Is this Is this actually reality? So I, I like that it even makes me question as someone so deeply involved in tech. Well, I
3: mean, you mentioned Star Trek, and um, I just wrote a thought down here. Um, there's shows like Firefly and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Orville, and they create this magic through science and like you and um, what I want to say is you inspire kids and adults of all genders to pursue their passions for building and science. What is it like to create these kinds of incredible projects and in your experience how does it affect these kids in their backgrounds?
2: Yeah, so it's really interesting so I spent um, a little under a decade in corporate engineering um, kind of chipping away at that glass ceiling and setting up women in leadership programs and so when I came out full time to do um, outreach was about the time that the Mythbusters franchise found me and there's actually there's clips of me going you know I'm doing this for the girls in STEM I'm showing them that we're, we can be equal we can we can push and we can do anything a man can do if not better and in high heels um, and so it was one of those things that I, I was adamant that I was doing this for the girls, I was doing this for the girls, But it was actually the parents that came to me and started talking to me about how it was affecting their sons, about seeing a woman on television that not only was there as an engineer and a scientist, but also was able to run all of the same equipment that the guys could do, could lift all of the things that they could do. It started to kind of change that perception. And I realized that what I was doing was bigger than I thought it could be. Um, And then it came into, you know, I'm a Southern girl, right? So I I love chivalry. I think it's fine to open my doors But trying to teach the men that worked around me that there's no ego. Like, I know my limitations. But don't tell me where they are. Um, When I need the help, I will definitely ask for it. And it was something that I realized that, you know, it's never meant to be... um, someone holding me back. Um, I know we like to say a lot that men are holding women back, but in reality, most of the chances I've been given in the world have been because men that have daughters want to see the world change. Um, Or men that have wives that they love and respect and see them in the shop with them. They want to see more women realize that they can do that. Um, And so it's something that I go into these young girls camps now and I tell them, you know, the trope of catfighting women is alive and well in science and every little girl has the mission to change that because men get to the top and they turn around and, and they do what we should do as women when we get to the top. They find someone like them that inspires them and they help to lift them up and they help to show them the way. Most of the women managers that I've had didn't do that. If anything, they were like, "This is my spot. I'm keeping this spot." Um, Chuck Palahniuk, actually, in an interview with Joe Rogan, said it really well. Um, when he first won an award, he started doing um, workshops to be able to teach other writers. And they asked him, "Why are you Why are you setting up a competition?" And he said, "I'm not. I'm developing a market." So we, as women, like learning that and and lifting each other up. So when I got the chance to to do MythBusters Junior this summer, my goal was to make sure last summer was to make sure that all three girls left knowing how to Welt, and that they supported each other every day on that set, because it was so quick that they, you know, that they could have gone the other way, and instead, all six of the kids lifted each other up and really thrived together.
5: That's important. That's important. I love what you're saying, with the conventions, the, the conventions had been running for a long time and um, I, you know, we were, there was a kind of perception that women don't make money and um, when I first started I would be the one female and there'd be nine men and the statistic in SAG at that point was there was nine jobs for men for every one job for a woman, including extras, um, in the last five years. Uh, The last convention we were at there was five women uh, and we all consciously lift each other up. Mm -hmm. Even sometimes we annoy each other. (laughs) We still give each other job opportunities it's pass each other's information community. on to other yeah. conventions. I pass on. I'll say, you know, we, we we make money now. We do these photo ops. We work together, and it's changed in the last five years. And that change is possible, and it's interesting to me that you know we're told the audience is a certain way, but the truth is our audience is mostly female, and they have
4: embraced us, given the chance. So anyway, just wanted no, to it's add. Dr- and I remember one of a uh, panel I did maybe three years ago or something, they asked me ahead of time if I was okay with being on the panel with this other actress because they thought somehow we must hate each other because we are both women. It was really absurd. Um, And now that's not even a question ever. So, yeah.
3: It's interesting. It's important. (laughs) Um, Dr. Scarlett, this question is for you why is it that shows like Stranger Things, and Game of Thrones, Winona Earp, Jessica Jones, and many others affect fans the way they do and in terms of making fans like affecting their anger, their hope and getting them excited?
0: I, I like to think of fiction as reality told through a fantasy it's, it's a reality that we often don't talk about, right? I, unfortunately, many of us have been raised to believe that we don't talk about the bad things that we have experienced. We don't talk about the trauma. We don't talk about the nightmares. We don't talk about the pain. We just put on the mask, the I am fine mask, and move on with our day. But it doesn't work that way because monsters are out there. Um, there's internal monsters and there's external monsters, and the more we talk about them, the more we can see that monsters can actually be defeated. And so in watching things like Stranger Things, we know that there are these monsters that maybe we can't see. Maybe they live in our walls. Maybe they live in our hearts. Maybe they, they haunt us from our past. And and maybe it feels like they've kidnapped us and taken us to the upside down and, and, and we can't recover. Um, and it is it might take the help of all our friends and our entire family to pull us back from those monsters for us to feel like we can, we can take Take another step and go another day. Um, At the end of Game of Thrones, I think there was a lot of. a lot of separation and how the fans felt about it, right? So a lot of fans really loved it, a lot of fans really hated it. Um, so without getting into too much discussion of how people felt, um, I find that a lot of times we tend to draw certain connections with certain characters. Maybe it's a character that is giving us our own voice. Maybe it's a survivor that has been through something that we have been through. Maybe it's somebody that we see as a representation of us. And sometimes if that character takes a different direction on the screen than we might have taken. It might feel like a betrayal because we ourselves would not take that action and therefore we might expect that that character would act uh, a certain way. And I think that we as fans grow so attached to some of these television shows because they're not just shows to us. Because they, they might serve as a surrogate friend or a surrogate family member or a surrogate mythology in a way to allow us to understand our own experiences and to allow us to understand where to go next. Uh, what they tell us, what all of these stories in turn really tell us is that no matter how big and scary the monsters are, if we bond together we can Do the impossible.
3: Is there a clinical example that you can discuss where you incorporate something like this?
0: Sure. Um, So I'm going to tell you about an example of Doctor Who. Are you guys familiar with Doctor Who? Awesome. So um, I was working with uh, a client who had been through trauma so severe that he developed not only PTSD, but also agoraphobia, which for a lot of people means fear of leaving the house or fear of leaving safe safe spaces or being in open spaces. So for him, his fear was so overwhelming that he couldn't even leave his room. So the first day when um, I did a house visit, we did an entire session. I was on one side of the door and he was on the other. He couldn't even come out. We spent six months in doing sessions in his living room, just um, talking, processing his trauma. And for this particular individual, he, had, he was a big Doctor Who fan. Despite the fact that he was a big Doctor Who fan, he had a really difficult time leaving the house, which meant that he was missing his son's uh, school practices, he was missing his friends' um, birthdays, and he was um, not engaging in the kind of meaningful life that um, that he wanted. As we continued processing his trauma, we, we looked to the doctor, and I asked him what is it that he likes about the doctor. And He said that no matter what happens to the doctor, the doctor shows up. The doctor shows up where it really matters, even when he's scared. And, and he might show up on this planet, or on another planet, or at this time point, or another time point, And that's what he wanted to do. And he said that as a small child, he and his family actually used to um, travel and help people. And after um, the trauma that he experienced, he could not leave his house and therefore couldn't travel, couldn't do the kind of family missions that he wanted to do to help um, people who'd been survivors of awful experiences. So we talked about him stepping outside of the house as stepping out of the TARDIS, as kind of just taking a step, not just fighting the aliens, but just stepping outside. And I'll never forget this moment where we stepped outside and we're kind of holding hands and he was holding my hand with one hand and another hand he was holding onto the wall of the house and he was kind of shaking for a while. And then we just kind of stood there, just him kind of still being near the TARDIS in a way. Um, And then I asked him to just tell me the colors of the cars that were passing by. So he would say things like red, or black, or blue. And after a while he stood up and he said, I can do this. And a few months later he drove to my office and we actually had a session in my office. And six months after that he started traveling again. He's now traveling to third world countries and because his life mission is to be like the doctor, to travel to different kinds of countries to help people affected by war, by famine, by violence. And this is what he does now. He still gets anxious, he still gets panic attacks when he travels too far, but he says being the real life doctor is worth it for him.
3: That's beautiful. And that leads perfectly into my next question, but I, wa- I wanna see if, uh, by a raise of hands, how many of you would like to ask a question and maybe we can have you line up to the mic right in there in the middle. And then... It's <laughs> you. <Me too. laughs> is it only you am i I'm gonna ask one more question. I just wanted to get people ready. <laughs> if you want to. Um, so we were talking about connections, and in this day and age, there's so much pain and struggle in the world going on. Sometimes the best thing we can do is connect with a TV show. Um, So sometimes we go through life feeling as if we're alone or as as if no one can understand what we're going through personally. For anyone out there in the audience who might be struggling today, what are some kind words or some inspirations you might be able to offer them?
2: I would say to reach out. It's very easy to start feeling like you're the only one in the world and everything on you is too heavy to be able to get off of you or get past. It's really easy in those moments to get engulfed by that darkness and to not realize that there is a light. There is a light out there. Um, I have a group of close friends that we literally, when days are getting too hard, when we can't remember why we're doing what we're doing or we can't lift ourselves up, we send a single light bulb and a text. And that person finds 30 minutes, no matter where they are, to call the other person and to listen to them vent and then to actually remind them of why they're doing what they're doing, why they love where they're at, and how to be able to lift themselves back up out of that darkness. And it is very hard. Today's world is very dark. But remember that you can be that light. You can be that light for someone else. And if you can't find that light, that person does exist in your life. You just have to reach out.
0: And I would say a reminder that you matter. Your story makes a difference. If you're feeling alone, if you're feeling overwhelmed, share your story. Chances are there is a billion other people who are going through the same thing. And just by you reading, by by reading about what you're going through, if you post it, by understanding what you're experiencing, they also might feel less alone and more supported. Also, I would like to add that you might not be aware of this, but chances are you've already helped numerous people in your life. You might not know this, because a lot of times when you do something good, people might not tell you. But there are probably numerous people out there whose life is already better because of something kind that you did. Maybe you smiled at them. Maybe you texted them. Maybe you checked in with them. Maybe it was a stranger you smiled at. Maybe there's somebody out there that's alive today because of you, because of something that you have already done, because you're already a superhero.
4: (laughs) So I'd say probably one of the most important things for all of us is to let go of the illusion of perfect and the illusion of normal. Um, I feel like I was given a great gift because I have something exterior that shows, oh she's not like she doesn't have it all together something's going on. Um, And people tend to be more honest with me because of that. And I started to realize, hey wait, none of us has this figured out. We're all laboring under this illusion though that we have to pretend to each other that we're okay and we got this and like everything's fine. Um, and I think that's really dangerous. And I think if we're going to heal as individuals and as a society, we have to start being able to be open with each other and find ways we can support each other. And that's only going to start from a place of honesty and it's only going to start from a place of self-acceptance. Self and So uh, so please start forgiving yourself for those, quote, imperfections. They are not imperfections and we all have strengths and weaknesses and uh, let's let go of that. Whole lie. So that's me.
5: I uh, I've come over 5,000 miles, you know, to be here, to get to this point in my life, and I got this job on what has become the best job of my life at the age where you're told to kind of retire as an actress, and I. I'm Scottish, and we just get told to get your head down and get on with it. We're not big into therapy, like all you Californians and all that. <laughs> but what I, will, what I will admit to is that it takes licensed professionals to keep me on straight and narrow, to allow me to be the best version of myself so that I can turn up on set or to conventions and hold my shit together. And I'm proud of it. I'm proud that I've had help. And I just, if anybody has the remotest sense that they might need any help, even just mention it to a friend. Take that first step. Do you, do you ever speak to anybody else? Do you ever get, do you ever have, get any therapy? Like, do it. Give yourself. If you had a sore knee, you'd go to the physiotherapist. If you've got a sore heart or a sore head,
4: ask for help.
6: I'm, I'm just gonna leave the time up for that. Okay.
3: Um, let's go ahead and start with the questions.
4: Is that on? Okay, yeah. it is. <laughs> um, so, I've suffered from depression for about 20 plus years now. And I tend to delve into movie marathons if it's really hitting me hard. And about four years ago, I realized the movie I watched the most is The Prisoner of Azkaban when I'm depressed. And then it hit me that depression is like the Dementors and so that actually kind of helps whenever I watch that and um, I don't know, have you, Dr. Scarlett, have you ever used that as an analogy?
0: Yeah. So being a big potter head and uh, a proud Slytherin, by the way.
4: <laughs>
2: um,
0: I actually wrote a self-help book called Harry Potter Therapy. It's really good if you haven't read it. <laughs>
2: Thank
0: you. And um, I, I wrote it. It's a nonprofit project, so all the profits from it go to support mental health organizations like the suicide hotlines and crisis text lines. And in it, yes, we talk about the dementors of depressions, the boggarts of anxiety. We talk about how uh, suppressing our emotions is not something we're meant to do as human beings. Our emotions are the primary source of our magic. Like Harry, we're not meant to have that magic suppressed, otherwise we'll become Obscurials, and that's not healthy. And so, yes, the idea is magic is all around us, and what a wonderful example, and thank you so much for sharing how The Prisoner of Azkaban has resonated with you. It's resonated with me too. Thank you. Comes from like a different like place, and everyone's gonna like. If you watch something, everyone's gonna get a different experience out of that. How do you write something like for a TV show or a novel that you know can like reach an audience so that it can connect with them, regardless of people will have like their different perceptions and stuff like that? How do you like? Reach people, even though they're going to have such different and diverse like reactions.
6: Well, you don't try to reach everyone. You try to I, like I've written. I'm writing my 36th novel now, right? So when I wrote my, write my books, I don't write for the audience. I write for for the me that's that's inside. Um, when I was writing, um, I was a writer on Black Panther for two years for the comic. I wasn't writing for. The people who read Black Panther, and I certainly wasn't writing for white kids who who don't read Black Panther, or and I wasn't writing for the black uh, black kids who did read it. I was writing for the kid I was, who grew up, you know, in a household where my father was in the KKK, and I. That character got me out of it by opening opening my mind to other things. So I wrote about, you know, I wrote, I wrote that character because it was. How I changed, you know, how my life changed. I write about child abuse in, in uh, a couple of my novels because I was an abused child, but not because I wanted, I wanted to um, proselytize a certain viewpoint about how you deal with or recover from, from that. Now, what it does, however, is when you write an honest piece like that, where it's not for someone else, you're exploring your own own process, it opens up conversations. They aren't always with you by the way, sometimes fans will talk to one another because they both read a certain book or a certain comic and sometimes you're part of the conversation and sometimes not but you don't have to write to all those people, you have to write honestly about your own experience and allow that to be out there so that other people can say you know what, that's something I wanted to talk about and because we could talk about the book, it's safe, a safe ground for us to have the conversation rather than just
7: opening up and you know spilling blood at one another. Well said, <laughs> <laughs> um, everything he said is true, I mean, it's very much that and and again it's like you never set out to like write for one specific person. If, if you do, then then you're not really writing uh, for a TV show. Um, it, it's more that you try to write, you know, you think of relatable um, moments, and again, it's like your characters that experience the same thing that other people do, and it's all subjective. So, a person can interpret a character's emotional journey in, in a way that another person will see it differently, and, and you have to be okay with that. Like, once it's out there in the world, it's out there in the world is out there for the audience and it's like you know um, and you'll be surprised by how people respond to different things I will say by the way being team Gryffindor um,
6: you (laughs) (laughs) representing Gryffindor
7: Uh, (laughs) you know for me it was was reading Harry Potter books being a Potter head not as much as you of course Uh, uh, the
4: I'm ready to go head to head
7: (laughs) (laughs) um I, you know seeing seeing her writing and and again it's just being able to relate those char- relate to those characters in the, in a way that there's something personal that that you know is triggered inside you and and but the experience I have is something different from uh my friends have and and yet again it's it's that's what's great about you know Storytelling—it's there's so many different ways to interpret it and and, uh, and really sort of experience it, and uh, you know um, I think that that's uh, I think that's the most important thing as a writer and a storyteller is being able to understand that you're going you know you're giving it's it's you you basically you're throwing out a gift to the world and saying like okay here it is and some people might like it some people might not and and just get ready for you know the, what type of reception that's going to have and be okay with that.
3: Right. <laughs> Thank you very much for asking that question.
0: Um, I've been basically raised on the show Supernatural. Like, I've been watching it.
3: since.
0: I can't even remember, but um, like the show and the characters, like the characters, has helped me like really become like like a strong, powerful woman and like. What I want to know is like how has Supernatural the show and the characters the people working on it helped influence your guys' life?
4: How it influence? Yeah. In every way. I, honestly, I can't imagine my life without that influence. Um, it, so like everything my life is right now probably is because of that those friendships and that community and um, so I couldn't extract that but I'll also give you more specifically, like my originally, my character, Meg, really helped me learn a lot of important lessons. I love the fact that because playing a demon has different rules, she has a perspective. She's lived such a very vast amount of time. She has a perspective of not getting immersed in the minutiae of life and not taking it seriously or thinking it's important at all. Uh, and that was really healthy for me to kind of be in that mindset. Also, Ruth and I have talked in the past, playing baddies, Playing characters that are women that were bad was very freeing because we all of a sudden realized how much as women we apologize all the time. To play characters that are unapologetic was such a good road into learning to exist without polo- apologizing for your existence. So there was, there's a lot of invaluable lessons. Outstanding.
5: Yeah, uh, Rowena has literally never said the S word. <laughs> Uh, That's how I refer to it. I wish I could say the same about myself. But a little as to what the writers were saying. For me personally, I came at this part in my audition from such a personal point of view that I learned that if I really make this about what I think this person does in this situation... I mean, I was prepared to be hated or killed after two episodes. I can't believe, I can't believe the reception it's had, and it was just what you were talking about, that same part of the creative process, about coming at something from who you are, whatever that strength is, because strength isn't always being about about being the loudest person or the most confident person, it's about knowing what your essence is and giving it to the world in a little, a, the way you can.
3: Yeah. Thank you very much for asking questions. Huh? I have another time on
5: five
3: minutes. You want to go?
7: Yeah, so I have to... Um, yeah.
1: um, thank you guys yeah. for
3: coming out here. Um, uh, Jonathan has to leave real quick. He has another panel. Seriously. Thanks, guys. Thanks goodness. so much, Jonathan. Thank you. I
7: I think we'll... My we'll question towards uh, um therapist Scarlett. Scarlett. Um,
3: this is in regards towards working with folks who are very much into characters and you know the stories and stuff like that. But
7: you know they don't have anybody that how should I say represents them. How do how do you go about trying to um,
3: work with them and work with trying to you know like
7: them on like, characteristics
0: or whatever. I love this question and I would love to spend like six hours with you talking about this question. I actually teach courses for therapists about how to utilize pop culture and also fan fiction in uh, building characters. If there are no characters that represent that individual, then writing one. And so one of the things that I do with my clients is we might take a fandom that they're already a big fan of, let's say, oh, I don't know, Harry Potter, for example, just because that one comes up a lot and I happen to love it so much. Um, We might take a particular scene that this individual might wish that they were a part of and they might write themselves into that scene. There might be a character, this is called self-insertion in fan fiction world. So um, that particular client might then write a scene in which they are a part of, for example... A lot of my clients will write a scene where they witness Hermione being bullied by Draco, for example, and they might write themselves into the scene because they have been bullied too, but maybe in some kind of way their own character is not represented, but maybe now they can be there alongside with Hermione. Maybe they can stand up to Draco and see a representation of themselves and be in that empowered role. And very often through this fan fiction example, there would be an empowerment lesson, almost like a practice, that that individual would have that they can then take in real life, and then practice when they're seeing real life bullying going on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to quickly add
4: something, because we were talking about this on the walking over here, is that there's another magical thing, not as a therapist, but just in general, that as a healthy paradigm for all of us, the more representation exists of different people, the more that opens the door for us to feel we can belong. So there's an interesting thing, like me being out in the world with a wheelchair, I've had people say you enabled me to get my sex change operation. You wouldn't think those two things go together, but it's being willing to authentically be myself and not be afraid to hide the fact that I do not tick those boxes of being, quote, normal. Um, That opens the door for other people to do so. So I think the more we have well-represented characters, the more that People can connect regardless of whether it mirrors their situation or not.
0: Exactly, and I think that as um, individuals, we can we can ask for that. We can petition writers to be more inclusive and more representative. Um, as kind of a starting out writer, I am still learning so much. And after having conversations with Rachel, I've now incorporated in two separate books characters that are on wheelchairs or have different kinds of um, different abilities than other people, and that. That is actually the source of their strength in the book. And so, um, in having these conversations, we can understand more about representation. And, uh, and we as consumers have every right to advocate too for the kind of representation that we want to see. Yeah. Derek?
7: Hi.
0: As somebody who writes,
7: yes.
5: <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about this?
7: Uh, When I think about this, I think that y'all are smart and I'm going to just let it be. (laughs) It's
4: like
7: like you are far more, have more expertise in this area than I do. And so I agree with everything you said and I'm a big fan of it.
4: (laughs) I think with that answer, you proved how smart you are.
7: (laughs) Well, I just want
3: to say thank you very much for coming out this evening and sharing this time with us. I want to ask the panelists one more time to uh, maybe say what. Anything else you might be doing during the convention? And again, uh, give your social media.
4: Well, I've got a panel tomorrow night at I think nine o'clock on disability uh, representation uh, and inclusivity. So. Stuff. Yeah, I have a panel with um, Elena Huffman and a few other people
5: about women and horror. Saturday, 8.30. <laughs> um,
2: we are doing Science of Game of Thrones on Saturday at 5 o'clock. Uh, Dr. Travis Langley will be leading that one with us. Thanks.
0: Um, And I'm technically on another panel now, so I'm about to use my time turner to get there. Uh, But on Saturday at 7 o'clock, I will be on a panel, Psychology of Harry Potter, if any of you are interested.
7: Of course. (laughs) <laughs> um, I have a panel tomorrow it's called Writing the Rules of Magic with a bunch of other talented writers uh, and then inside the writer's room on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Um, I don't know where they are I just follow it on Twitter and, <laughs> and I just show up
4: so sound amazing.
3: well thank you all very much have a good night
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. If you're an iTunes listener, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We greatly appreciate all your support. And also, if you have a favorite fandom you would like to hear us cover, please feel free to submit your comments to superherotherapy at gmail.com. Have a great day and stay kind, everybody.